0: scriptures and all the places it talks about his hands and uh, you could trace it all the way back to the book of Genesis in the beginning of this thing you know the Bible said he spoke the world in the beginning was the word and all of that I know he said let there be light Uh, but I found that he formed man out of the dust of the ground that would have required his hands would have required his hands he put his hands on us Way back in the beginning, and according to what he told Joseph, Joseph went through the hands of his brothers. He went through the hands of those on that caravan. He went through the hands of Potiphar, the hands of those guards in the prison, the hands of the Pharaoh. The Bible said that through all of that, the hand of the Lord never departed Joseph. Kept his hands on him. I read one day where Peter went walking on the water. The Bible said he got to looking around at him or looking around at the situation, rather, and he saw the waves raging high, and he got worried, and the Bible said he began to sink, cried out to the Lord, and the Bible said immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand. The Bible said he hung the stars at the span of his hand. Talked about being in the hollow of his hand. We sing the little children's song. He's got the whole world in his hands. Isn't it good to be in his hand this morning? I, I don't know about you. I worry. I fret about a lot of things. But then I hear songs and I think about Scripture that says we're in his. The Bible said this, that no man can pluck us from his hand. He's got us in his hand. All of the worry and all of the fret and all of the planning and Figuring and doing that we try to figure out. He's got it all. God, if you're saved, you're in His hand. And you're in a safe place this morning. Isn't that a blessing to know? It's good to be saved. It's good to be in the Lord's house. I am grateful for the opportunity to be here. Things could have been gone very different this week. We could have uh, been in the hospital. They could have been uh, planning our funeral this week or this morning. Uh, We could have... Uh, been anywhere in the world this morning but the Lord has saw fit for us to be here in His house to worship Him, feel His Spirit, feel His presence and I'm grateful for it. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with us to the book of James, chapter number 1. The book of James chapter number 1. It has not been too long ago, maybe a year or so, that the Lord let us preach through the book of James and you may still Have some of those notes in your Bible? I do not know. And uh, maybe you'll remember some things that we say this morning, but I feel like this is the way the Lord has led my heart today. Just so you know, I'm not re-preaching an old sermon. I'm not going to try to do that. Uh, I I try not to ever do that. If the Lord will help me, I want something fresh uh, from His Word every time I open it just like you do. So we're going to try to give you what the Lord has given us for this time and for this hour. James chapter number 1, the Bible said, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered about, greeting. <clears throat> My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have <clears throat> her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, and tossed. That is the Scripture it's in my heart. I cannot read that portion of Scripture without thinking of one of my heroes of the faith, which is Dr. James locke Every time Brother locke read this Scripture, I can hear him in my mind as I read it when he says, If any of you let him, or lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth, he said, to all men liberally. Preacher locke every time he got there, said, I like liberal when it comes to wisdom. I like liberal when it comes to wisdom. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing on the service. Father, we thank You for this day and for the privilege, God, You've given us to be in Your house. We do understand this morning that it is a privilege, Lord, that You've given to us. It's not something we deserve. It is not something the Lord that we have worked for or retained on our own. But God, we have been privileged for years to be able to come freely into Your house and worship You because of the sacrifice of others. God, those that died for the faith were martyred and shed their blood. God, that we might have a Bible. God, that we might have the freedom to worship. Lord, those that have died for our country, that we might remain free God, this morning we thank you for them. Those, Lord, that are still on a foreign field somewhere serving our country that we might remain free so that we can come into your house and worship you. Lord, we are grateful for all that they do for us. Then, Lord, we pray, God, that your hand would be upon the service this hour. God, you know that I stand before you, God, with no ability in myself, You know, God, that I have nothing to offer unless you help us this day. I'm trusting, Lord, that you'll move in our midst, that you'll stir our hearts, that you'll refresh our minds, and, Lord, you'll give us utterance for our lips that we might speak the words that would be pleasing to you this day. Go with us, Lord, if there be someone here that's lost and does not know you. God, let us find our way to the gospel Lord, that they might hear and believe, God, this day before it's eternally too late. I love you, and I thank you for the privilege to pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You pray for us this morning as we look to the Word of God and try to give you what the Lord has given us concerning these six verses in the book of James. I'll remind you that I am not good at making titles uh, for messages. I, I have never good at that, and I'm going to be honest with you. I've never tried to be good at making titles. My opinion is this: I want you to remember the scripture more than you remember the title of the message. I can remember some titles of messages that I cannot remember for the life of me, what the preacher preached out of, what scripture. That he used. I'd rather you know we're in the book of James than for you to know a title of a message, all right? So I'm looking here in the book of James, who uh, we know, according to uh, studies and former preaching, is the half brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is family to Jesus. We also know that James uh, I did not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior or as Messiah until after the resurrection of Christ. He lived with Him. He grew up with Him. He played the same games with Him. He no doubt worked in the same shop with Him uh, and did the same things that Christ did. Uh, But he did not become a believer of Christ until after the resurrection. And as we come here to our text in our opening verse, I'm just giving you a little groundwork. Uh, The Bible said James a servant of God. I want to notice first thing, the way that James characterizes himself. He could have opened the book by saying, James, the brother of Christ, a servant to the Lord, but he did not. He was not looking for notoriety. He was not looking uh, to be known in the world as the brother of Christ, uh, but he characterized himself as a servant of Christ, a servant as an under rower, that one that is in the bottom of the ship that nobody sees, uh, doing the work that no one else wants to do, a servant uh, that would take a job that no one else would want. And James, rather, characterizes himself as a servant of God. Uh, the message that we could apply to ourselves today is we ought to be like James. We ought to be okay at doing the little things. We ought to be all right with being a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. We ought to rejoice that there is any work in the kingdom of God for us to do. James not only shows us in the opening verse how he characterizes himself, he's going to let us know who it is that he is writing to. He says he is writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. He is writing to Jews, in other words, but let me say this to you. Most theologians agree that he is writing not just to Jews, but he is writing to born again believers that are Jews. In other words, those that were scattered abroad because they had accepted Christ, turned from what they had always knew, and were now under persecution from those they had grown up with and worshiped with in previous days. They were scattered because They left what everybody else stayed with. And in this category of the 12 tribes scattered, most theologians say we ought to make application uh, to us that are under somewhat of persecution or going through difficulties. And James introduces himself as a servant and identifies himself with these believers. And that's all right. I'm not ashamed to identify with the church of the living God. Christ, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, did something other than be immersed in water. The word baptized certainly does mean immersion. It means put them under. Amen? Amen. I put them under the water. It is not a sprinkling. It is not what many churches have adopted. It is a submersion in the water. But beyond that, here's where I'm going. I'm, I'm trying to get sidetracked a little bit. Here's where I'm going. It is an identification process when at these in a little while I will be baptized. They will be identifying with the death, with the burial, and with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be saying openly that I have inwardly accepted Christ as my Savior and I'm going to follow Him in baptism like He said we should do. Here's what I'm saying. As members of God's church, as members of the local church, we ought to be like James and not be ashamed of those that are scattered. We ought to identify with those on the mission fields that are dying and giving their lives for the cause of Christ. And we ought not be ashamed about it. That's way more than I intended to say about verse one. He's letting us know that he is writing to people who are scattered. Let me just throw you, paint you a little picture here if I could. If someone this morning came running through the back door with an AR on his shoulder Screaming, get out of here or I'm going to shoot you all. Many would run out the doors, no doubt. Many would would stay and die. That's not the point. But when you run out those doors, we would scatter. We would come to the next appointed service time and we would wonder what should we do. Should we go back to the church? uh, Or should we try to meet somewhere else? uh, Or should we just pray and read God's Word where we are? We would be scared. We would be hurting. We would be confused. We would be wondering. We would be asking, uh, what should we do? These are the people James is writing to. They are scattered, they are hurting they are confused, they are asking, they are weary, they are tired. James said, I'm just a servant, and I'm going to pin you a little letter. Paul in his writings always dealt with doctrine first. Then at the end of his writings as he was closing out his letters, Paul would give the readers a practical application that they could make to their own lives. James is very different than Paul. James begins his letter with practical things. And there are practical after practical after practical application through the book of James. It's almost like a little short book of Proverbs, of things that we can use in our daily lives to help us stay close to Christ. Here's how James begins. My brethren, count it all joy. They're hurting, they're confused, they're tired, they're scattered, they're worried, Be happy. It sounds like, it sounds just like James has gone mad that he's lost his mind. At the very least, if I was a Jew scattered abroad or a born-again believer that was scattered abroad, at the very least, I would say, that's easy for James to say, he's sitting at his house, writing letters while we're all scattered about out here, not knowing what to do, where to go, how to worship, what to say, what's right, what's wrong, and James is just writing us a letter. Matthew Henry said this, the suffering state of Christians in this world is represented in this letter. It's represented in that in a very instructive manner we can attend to what is plainly and necessarily implied together with what that is fully expressed. Matthew Henry said this. He said this is representative of hurting Christians today and we can identify with everything that is being implied in James's letter to these Christians. So what is it that James is implying? First of all, when he says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into divers temptations, first of all, it implies that trouble and afflictions could be the lot of the very best Christian. Now listen, I know how we view things. I know how we view things. We view things just like Job's friends view things. Job's friends said, Job, you would not be hurting. You would not be afflicted. You would not be sick. You would not be broke. You would have your children if you were right with God. Job, you, somewhere along the way, have sinned. Somewhere along the way, Job, you have gotten out of the light and you're walking in darkness. Job, somewhere you have transgressed against God. Job, you are a sinner. Just admit it. Get right with God and everything will get better. That's how we view things. But according to what we are reading, he is writing to Jews, born-again believers that are scattered abroad, that have done nothing but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, They've been saved. They're born again. They're living for Christ. And it is implying to us that the best Christian could be filled with days of suffering and affliction and hardships and trials. And tribulations and just difficulties on a daily basis. That's what he implies. Listen, listen to this quote that I read last night. I want you to hear this. Uh, a man named Samuel Bolton said, Afflictions which come upon the godly are medicinal in purpose and are intended to cure them of sin afflictions that come upon that come upon the godly are medicinal in purpose there are reasons why that God allows His children to go through difficulties and hardships and persecutions. And friend, those things are to grow us and to make us stronger and to make us above all more like Him. Christ, listen to this. Christ is not trying to make you a better you. You know what a better Brandon is? Just a sinner, still. A better Brandon is still just a sinner. A better Matt is still just a sinner. A better Ralph is just a sinner. A better Nathan is still uh, just a sinner. And they're just sinners uh, that still are in need of a Savior. Uh, but Christ uh, in His infinite uh, wisdom and knowledge uh, has set us out on the journey that we're in uh, to conform us uh, uh, to the image uh, of His precious Son. Uh, our afflictions, uh, our trials, our valleys, uh, our hardships, our sicknesses, uh, our losses, our gains. Are all designed to make us like Him. To make us like Himself. The word is mimic. One of the words, follow me, mimic me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. If you listen, When Peter, we talked about this last week, when when Jesus got on the ship with Peter and told him everything he needed to do. Listen, Peter wasn't even telling Jesus how to fish. And he was a fisherman dealing with a carpenter. But Jesus said, if you'll follow me, if you'll mimic me, I will teach you, I will show you, I will disciple you, I will make you like me. It is to take a... To an artist, it is to take a piece of clay and a hammer and a chisel and begin to make an image that is as close to an exact replica as you can make. There is a story from a village overseas that a man, as a little boy, he was a little boy, and there was a mountain in the in the distance, and uh, this village was in poverty and uh, was in trouble and never had anything. And, And the story in the village was that that mountain, it looked like the face of a man. And the story was that one day the man from that mountain would come to the village and rescue the village and make everything better. The story goes like this. It fascinated the little boy to such a point that he went every day and sat for hours looking at the face of that mountain. Years went by and every day the boy would go and stare into the face in the mountain. After years passed by, the boy grew into a man. One day after spending time looking at the face, he walked into the village and the village cried, It's him. There he is. There's the man from the mountain. He had stared at the image until his face became like the image in the mountain, and it made him like the image. Hear me. It implies these difficulties, it implies that we could have them every day. He said, diverse temptations. That means all different kinds. The word is various. We would say it like this, diverse. Diverse. The King James translators put it in there as divers. If if they were to revise that today, they would put in the word diverse. It's the same idea. It is various. Multiple temptations, multiple problems. If you lived at my house, you'd think it was like this, one after the other. One after the other. I mean to the point where you even quit asking what's next. Various, multiple, all kinds of situations. And he, he implies that these could come to the very best Christian, uh, to the one whose halo is brightest uh, and wings are the fluffiest. Uh, they can endure these afflictions as easy as you or I can. So don't, so don't, don't get to thinking that because somebody's going through difficulties that they're not right with God. As a matter of fact, let's view it the opposite. You might want to say those that are going through the most are probably the closest to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Those that seem to have the most difficulties does not mean that they are not right with the Lord. Through these things, through these diverse temptations, James takes a practical path to show us as Christian believers how to have a living, visible, productive faith In a fallen world. I have preached on faith multiple times. And every time I preach it, I remind you that the word faith is a conviction. It is a standard. It is the belief system in which we operate. That is how Paul viewed faith every time he wrote about it. He wrote about our belief system, our convictions, what we stand on, what we believe in. That's not what James wrote about. James wrote about a productive, viable, livable, active faith in a fallen world, which is just how we can trust Christ when things are going wrong. That's what James is wanting to show the believers who are scattered that we can trust Christ when things aren't good. What is that song? I can trust Jesus. I can trust Jesus. He never, how does it go? Tell me the words. Jesus, I can trust Jesus. He never once failed me. There you go. It's that that idea. It is that idea. James said, listen. He said, I'm implying to you I'm implying to you. I could go down every pew. I could say Brandon, Miss Linda, Brother Chip, Brother Johnny, Brother Sister Betty, Sister Betty, Sister Colette. I could say Miss Madison, Brother Ricky, Sister Amy, Brother Gary, Sister Carrie. I could go through the whole church and say, listen, hardships may come. As a matter of fact, they may not just come, but they are probable. Yea, all that live godly shall suffer persecution. Hardships are probable. But then I'd have to stop and say uh, that James said uh, that when the hardships come, uh, that we should be happy. That little phrase counted all joy. <clears throat> it implies pure joy mixed with nothing else no joy plus a little sadness no joy plus a little heartache no joy plus some depression, no joy plus anxiety, no joy plus anger and and, and discontentment, but rather it implies that we should count every temptation, every hardship, every affliction, every trial should be counted as pure joy. Man, that's hard is hard but that's what that's what James is implying that even though it is probable that you are going to suffer that we should still be happy brother Rick could I use you for illustration just for a minute brother Rick Almost every time I come up to Brother Rick and I shake his hand, and I say, Brother Rick, how you doing? He usually says, I'm happy. I got a call a while back. said, Brother Rick's dad is not doing well. And I went into the hospital room, just Brother Rick and his dad. He was crying. I said, Brother Rick, how are you? He said, I'm sad. You know why? Because it is hard to count everything that we go through as joy. That does not mean that anybody's out of the will of God because they're sad. That means it's hard to count all things joy. It is difficult whenever you get a phone call at 5 a.m. and wakes you out of a dead sleep and says so-and-so has died and gone to heaven. It's difficult in that moment to say, well, glory, ain't God good, hallelujah, he's on the throne. It's hard to do that. But if we could talk to James and ask him to tell us something that's not written In his letter, I think he might say something like this. This is speculation, imagination. It's my mind turning. It's not written in Scripture. So do do not think I'm giving you concrete words of James, all right? James might say, yes, it's hard. And yes, difficulties are hard. But I'd like for you to know the Jesus that I grew up with went to the cross of Calvary and he bled and he died and he suffered much at the hands of sinners and he suffered that those that would come to him might be born again. And the writer of Hebrews said that we have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities and what you can't handle. Peter said cast it all on him because he cares for you. While it's hard for you, it's easy for him. He bore it all. He bore it all. James implies that hardships could come to the best Christian. James implies that outward temptations and afflictions are temptations to believers, not just to sinners. These difficulties are temptations to these Jews that are scattered abroad. But listen, not only that, but it implies very much so that there will be numerous and various temptations. I've already got ahead of myself and preached that to you, so I'm not going to do it again. Amen. But he also implies that things, listen, I want you to get this. He implies that things that we didn't create may be on us as well. He said when you fall into these temptations. These are things they didn't cause. They didn't create. It was not their fault. But he said, you're going to fall into them. There's going to be some pits along the journey. There's going to be some valleys. I I don't know how most of y'all feel about valleys. I've just decided that's where we're supposed to live. The grass is green. Amen. The water's cool. You can eat and drink in the valley. The mountain top is cooler, but didn't y'all been to the mountains lately? High up on them, like elevations, like Mount Mitchell and places like that. Has anybody been up there lately? Y'all know where the mountains are. (laughs) Pretty flat here. It's been years since I've been to Mount Mitchell, but the last time I was there, once you crossed a certain elevation, guess what? It wasn't beautiful anymore. Acid rain has destroyed the trees. They're all dead. There are no leaves on them. There's no green foliage way high up on the mountains. Everybody's looking for the mountaintop. But it's in the valley. The song said, He restoreth my soul. It's in the valley where He leads us. Besides still waters, it's in the valley uh, where he takes us into the fields uh, of green grass. It's there when we can grow and be strengthened. And friend, listen, what I'm saying to you this morning uh, is we can all be stronger. uh, We can all be better. uh, uh, We're all going to suffer. uh, But it would be good if we would all move toward him in the suffering. He has implied that there are things that you didn't even do that you're going to have to suffer. Things that you get blamed for. Things that happened when you weren't even around. Amen. I could go into the pastoring end of that, but I'm not going to. You could go into the the singing leader part of that, but there's no need to. Things that you get blamed for that you didn't even do. Things that happened to you that all you were doing was minding your own business. Trying to be an encouragement and a help to somebody. And they took it and twisted it and made it something. Now they're mad at you and they gossiped all over the church and half the church is mad at you. And they don't even know why. You didn't do anything. Sometimes, sometimes it would have been better if you'd have just gone on and done it. At least made it feel better about him talking about it. You know. But he gives that implication in the text that you're going to fall into some things that you didn't even do. You're going to suffer for things that wasn't even your fault. Through these things, James, in a practical path, says, listen, you can have faith and trust in Jesus even when things are bad and even in a world that has fallen so far away from God that they don't want to hear His name mentioned. Amen. Hey. You can still trust Jesus. Hey. James starts writing to these beat-up Christians, to these people who are all kinds of emotional. And he says, hey, brethren, count it all joy. Be happy. Any of y'all remember the little song from years ago, Don't Worry, Be Happy? (laughs) Does anybody know the ironic thing about that song? The man that wrote it and sung it committed suicide. Singing, don't worry, be happy. You know why? Because it's hard. It's hard to be happy and not worry. Now get this, I don't know anything about the man that wrote the song. It would appear to me that he did not know the peace of Jesus And that he could trust him even though things were bad. I can trust him. I can walk through those doors uncertain as to what will happen when I come through onto the carpet. Uncertain and nervous and anxious. But at the same time knowing That I can trust Jesus. That I can trust Jesus. I can walk through the doors of a hospital room not knowing what I'm going to find on the other side, not knowing what shape the people that I love are in when I walk through the door, not knowing whether they'll live or die or make it through the night, but I can walk through those doors with anxiety and stress and worry and heartache knowing that I can trust Jesus. I can do that. Do I always succeed? No, but I can trust him and I can be happy in spite of. I can have pure joy without mixture. It's possible. If it were not possible, God would not have allowed it to be in our instruction book. He wouldn't have allowed it. The word all, counted all joy. The word all. You've heard preachers say Preachers say that all means all and all of that. Sometimes in the context of Scripture, it may be all of the ones he's talking about at that time. It may not mean all of the whole world, but it may be in all of the church or all of the disciples. But in this case, in the text, when he said all, it means the whole thing. It means every bit of it. Hey. It means every tear that you shed. It means every, every hurt feeling that you have. It means every uh, depressed day that you have. Count it all. Joy. For your benefit. It's for your good. But now listen to this. It's for your benefit. It's for your good. Here is the single most important thing it's for His glory. It's for His glory. Did you know? Did you know? that this life we're living is not about us. It's not. He said, let all that you do be done how? To the glory of God. We have a sole purpose in life that is to magnify Him, how to glorify Him, how to praise Him, how to worship Him. And in all things, Paul said, rejoice. Why? He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. No, wait, no, wait. Let me just stop. I should get a call before the end of the day that said, Richie, this is your sister in Tennessee. And mom's had a heart attack and gone to heaven. Don't expect me to stop and shout right there. I'm probably going to cry. And I'm going to be sad. But way deep down in my soul, something's going to stir and say, you're going to see her again. And through my tears, I can have joy knowing that it was her appointed time, that it was her day to go to heaven, knowing that she is with her redeeming Savior, knowing that I'll one day latch arms with her again and will rejoice forever and forever and forever. Why? Because I can trust Jesus. I can believe him. And James said, brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy. The whole thing, the pure joy mixed with nothing else. And it's while you are in afflictions. I can imagine when this letter was read out loud to every station where there might have been scattered Jews. Jews. Some of their faces would have looked like some of y'all's faces when I say things that you ain't real sure about. Eyebrows would go up, chins would drop. Did he really just say that while we're camped out in the wilderness, hiding for our lives, that we ought to be happy? Yes, why? Because you're there for the glory of God, for the cause of Christ, And you can trust Him. You can trust Him. I drove down a road the other day coming home. I don't even know what road I was on, but somebody in the car said, look to the right. said, there's a homeless community or a tent community over there in the woods. And I quickly turned to the right and there were tents sitting everywhere. They were... Homeless people living up in those woods in tents. And uh, I didn't think about it right then, but that just come to my mind. Those people I do not know, their spiritual relationship or condition. But do you know how much trust you'd have to have in the Lord to spend your days living in a tent? I doubt many of us would make it a week or so. Some people like to camp and like to camp in tents. I do. I just don't get to do it much anymore. I would like to have a good thick mattress the next time I do it, but we call that vacation. Amen. I we do. And I, I've been with some of these men camping. Amen. When it rains, it's time to go home. Amen. Sometimes just a good heavy dew will drip through the tent on your forehead. Take some trust. It takes some beliefs to have to live in that condition because you were scattered for what you believed. Because somebody forced you into that environment. And he said, that's what we ought to do. Counted all joy. He said, If any of you lack wisdom, he said, let him ask of God. He gives to all men liberty. What would we need wisdom for? To be able to understand. To be able to understand these difficulties and these afflictions and these temptations so that we can count it all joy, to be able to know that this is God making me better. It takes wisdom to understand that. Just a natural human knowledge would say, this is crazy. It ain't worth it. Natural human knowledge would say, what is the use? But wisdom, wisdom says, I know the use. I felt him just chip another piece of plaster off my shoulder. It's hard, but man, I just felt like praying. It's hard, but honey, would you go get my Bible? I want to be more like him. Counted all joy. If you know, if you lack wisdom and understanding why, he said, ask of God. He'll give that to you liberally, freely, abundantly. He's given wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. I don't have the most knowledge. I'll never forget this. I'm not saying I have a lot of wisdom either, but listen. I remember when I first started preaching, J.D. Deaton was a preacher in our church. He was an older man at the time. I said, Brother J.D., I said, I, I don't have the mind for this. I don't have the knowledge for this. And that old white-headed man, crippled hands. He was a barber, and he got rheumatoid arthritis and crippled hands. And J.D. said, boy, he said, you can have all the knowledge in the world and lack wisdom, and you have nothing. He said, but you can have a limited amount Of knowledge and have wisdom, and you'll be all right. That's what he said to me. Not ever forgot that. And honest before God, I do not think I have ever prayed, God, give me knowledge. But day after day after day, I say, Lord, I need your wisdom. I need you to help me. I need wisdom, Lord. Wisdom like Solomon had when he said, bring me that baby. We'll just cut it in half. You don't have to be smart to know that the mama's going to say no. Wisdom will help you understand your situation. He said you could ask for it liberally. Ask in faith. Ask trusting him believing Him, nothing wavering. He said, if you're wavering in your faith, if you're wavering in your trust, he said, you're like one of Joseph's boys. You're unstable as water, and you're as untrustworthy as the wind. Just don't know if you don't have faith. You do not know that I can trust Jesus, and you're like the water in the wind just tossed about. That's why, now listen to me, this is not an ugly statement, but that's why so many people in churches go from here to yonder at just the drop of a hat. Unstable. Wavering in their faith and trusting Jesus. I wonder this morning, I wonder this morning if we're in trials and difficulties and, and uh, we're trusting Jesus. And I want to say this. I want to say this. I do want to get to Calvary. I think I've already been there at least once. But one reason you may not be trusting Jesus is because you've never been to Calvary. You've never known Him to know that He's faithful. The writer of Revelation, John, said... That his name was faithful and true. He is a faithful God. And he is able to save sinners. And this morning I would say again to you that if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus that God hath raised him from the dead, as it says in Romans 10, he said, thou shalt be saved. You've heard the gospel. You know what is required. It's not required of you. Now listen, this is, I don't want to confuse you, but I, I want you to understand, it's not required of you to quit anything to get saved. You get saved and God will help you quit that stuff. Amen. That's what's required of you to get saved is to come. And to be a sinner. You came into the world to save sinners. If you're a sinner, you can get saved. This morning. Amen. I want to be clear. I want to be clear. That may be why you're having trouble trusting and having joy. In difficult places because you don't know the joy giver you don't know the joy giver let's stand to our feet this morning